You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or of. It's coming. First, you've heard of me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is... Any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in up to a 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT Corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder and officers and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. 40 years of This is another season of Emeritus Rex. Rabbi Pupko, boy, you've been busy this summer, haven't you, as we've had our couple of weeks off. What do you have to say about the political landscape in the last couple of weeks? You, you've said before, I mean, clearly, you know, there was a lot of uh, brouhaha about this debate. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, seems to be this comet that is rising and everybody is, is a lightning rod to many of the statements that he's making. I want to talk to you about one of the statements, which I think is relevant to both of us. But uh, come on. I mean, you, you, none of them are going to catch Trump, are they? Right now, listen, if the election were held today, to use an old, you know, prologue phrase, if the election were held today, it's hard to imagine anybody being able to beat uh, Trump. However, however, maybe indulging in excessive optimism, there are people like Karl Rove and others, guys who have been around a while, who believe that Trump's support is not as solid as the polls would indicate, that in the opening states in the Republican primary calendar, there is a softness and a weakness and an opportunity for someone to, at the very least, do better than expectations, which we know in primaries can mean a lot in, 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 in jumpstarting someone's candidacy. But again, you know, it's easy to say all of that is simply a pipe dream. But in other words, let me tell you what they point to in the stats. They point to the large number of Republicans who in polls say, uh, you know, they're willing to consider somebody else or, you know, or, or, or the number of uh, certainly the large number of uh, of the unaffiliated, as they say, the ones who aren't Republican or Democratic, who have now certainly have moved decisively to the Democrats because of Trump. I mean, listen, I think it was Nikki Haley the other night who made the point that Trump can't win. And she's right. Trump can't win. The only hope Trump has of winning and when I say winning, I mean an election against Biden. The only chance he has of winning is if, you know, if Biden's very obvious decline it becomes even more precipitous. There's got to be a type of fall or falling asleep. Something like that. Or some sort of stumble that no amount of spin 
is going to be able to cover up. Right. But again, there's no question that the hardcore Republican today, over 30% of Republicans, believe very strongly that all of these prosecutions of Trump, the four of them so far, are political persecutions. They represent partisan uh, Democratic prosecutors, whether in New York or Georgia. And if somebody does better than expected in Iowa uh, or whatever or wherever, uh, you know, you could you could imagine Trump becoming vulnerable. But again, it's it's that's you know anybody who's betting is betting on Trump to win the Republican nomination. I mean, you have these debates now between legal scholars whether or not Trump is precluded from being president because of the Fourteenth Amendment. Uh, Noah Feldman, a great uh, Harvard law professor, wrote this week in the Washington Post that it would not, in any way, prohibit him from being uh, president. Others certainly agree with him. Look, I, I I heard the legal eagles saying that the. Georgia case is a strong case. The Florida case, they say, is really the strongest case. Because the Florida case is by far the strongest case because even if you, even if a prosecutor would feel compelled to go easy on the mishandling of documents because of precedents like Hillary and others who weren't prosecuted for what one could claim are analogous crimes, the obstruction case in Florida is so solid. I mean, the obstruction case where he lied to the investigators, where they hid the documents, where his underling is moving boxes, all that's on video. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, the obstruction case really does seem as close to being airtight as possible. Uh, That's the strongest. The Florida obstruction case is very strong. The RICO case in Georgia, not so strong. I mean, people like Andrew McCarthy, a former prosecutor, has written extensively, you know, dissecting this RICO charge. You know, there's what's the crime? That's the question is what's the crime? This is a this is a racketeering charge. Right. So I read the whole indictment. That's the one I actually read. And all of it is sounds really nefarious and terrible. Lying and lying. Lying isn't a crime. Right. I mean, they have all these lies. Lying is not lying can be part of a RICO case where there's a predicate, where, where there's a crime. What's the crime? Yelling at Georgian elected officials to, you know, uh, bullying election. What's the crime? Others have said this better than I can. But I think that some of them are totally zebeze. In other words, the January 6th indictment of sedition or trying to overthrow the government, you know, if you can make the argument that he actually believed that he won the election, then everything is maturous. He wasn't trying to, uh, this was not, this is what he believed. He's an idiot. He thinks he won. He was convinced that he did. And by the way, presidents have immunity for acts taken as president. And you could claim that ensuring an honest vote is part of the president's purview. So, so I think that's why I think, I think the Georgia case and the, a Washington, D.C. case, the January 6th case, I think they are connected. If yeah. he actually believed it, if he actually thought this was correct. So he's not a racketeer. He's not somebody who's trying. He's he's not Tony Soprano. He's not Al Capone. He's, he's a fool, but you call him a liar, a fool, but you can't call him a racketeer. He actually, for some reason, he believed that this was the, the case. It seems the way things are rolling, unless he is... Uh, things come down like a ton of bricks. It seems like he's going to be the nominee and he'll lose. And we're going to get more of Biden because the press has really done an incredible job 
I think, covering up almost all his foibles. I mean, he, he, the press conference in Maui, I mean, the guy was unbelievably bad. I mean, he's out of it. Do you remember Chevy Chase's, I think it was his first year on Saturday Night Live. He he was, Chevy Chase is not a, a, a gifted mimic. He's not such a great comedian. All he did was fall, call himself Gerald Ford and, and basically fumble and fall over and just right. be a fair. Now, remind me, Gerald Ford, did Gerald Ford ever win an election? No. He did not. Jimmy Carter, who is uh, on death's door now, was able to beat him. Now, one of the reasons why Gerald Ford didn't win the election was because the media and everyone had this idea that this Gerald Ford was a bumbler. This Gerald right. Ford could do nothing. And he right? wasn't. Yeah, he was not. He was actually quite a – he was not Einstein. He's not Oppenheimer. But he's somebody who could put sentences together. Gerald Ford, on his worst day, was ten times better than Biden. And yet the media took aim at him and turned him into a clown. And yet I don't see that happening anywhere with Biden. I'm not just talking about the late night comedians or Saturday Night Live. No one is really doing that in a, in, a, in any extensive fashion. Oh, it, listen, nobody wants to be blamed for uh, for helping a Trump win. And if you mock Biden, you're helping Trump. I, I think that's different. I think Ben Shapiro and others are right. The left actually want Trump to be the nominee. Oh, for sure they do. Oh, look what they did in the midterms. They promoted and paid for and donated to the craziest Republican primary candidates. They, they those who Democrats successfully got, you know, got nominated, you know, in the Republican primaries were all, you know, all, all you know, were all defeated. They want Trump. I mean, these prosecutions are not to put him in prison. These prosecutions are to elevate him in the minds of Republican primary voters so that Biden will run against Trump. There's no question. It's not a conspiracy to put him in prison. It's a conspiracy to put him on the ballot. And when I say that, I don't just mean that Republicans rally around Trump when he's being besieged by Democratic prosecutors. What I mean is they, they're making sure that Trump is the number one topic of conversation. That's what these prosecutors. To. And it takes the air out of every other candidate's life. Before we get to the other candidates, and, and I want to talk about uh, Vivek in a way, they also make sure that the whole conversation, when Trump becomes the eventual nominee, is all about the way he has been targeted and he has been dealt with incorrectly, as opposed to all the weaknesses in the Biden administration, the terrible inflation, the total idiocy on foreign policy, and just the the inability to get anything done in a a real fashion. You you talked about the Ukraine as one of his positive things. But in general, the Biden presidency has been as bad as anything Jimmy Carter unleashed. And Jimmy Carter was trounced solidly by Reagan in 1980. So again, it's unfortunate that this is the way it's going to roll down. Let's also talk a little bit about the hatchet jobs that have been done on all the candidates. I think Ron DeSantis has really, he didn't know what he was, he might have been a Navy SEAL, but he didn't know what real toughness was until he got into this. I mean, they've they've taken him apart, him, his wife, almost every, like, he's got, he's got Miminusmo. He seems to have the CV of somebody impressive but I think Ron DeSantis, the heir, seems to be going out of his tires very quickly. 
think I think what's what happened possibly. Again, it's too soon to say, but Ron DeSantis was certainly has certainly been a disappointment. He has great accomplishments in Florida. He should have been running primarily on that. Instead, he decided to focus nearly exclusively on the primaries. What what I mean by that is by going after the hardcore Trump supporters, by trying to out-Trump Trump, by getting engaged in these culture wars. He should have been talking about the economy. He should have been talking about the regulatory state. You know, everyone knows where he stands on, for lack of a better quick word, the, the woke world. Everyone knows where he stands. But he, he focused way too much on Disney, uh, way too much on, uh, you know, on banning whatever books and whatever. He didn't need this stuff. He should have been proving his electability. And although it's not talked about or thought of that much yet, but it will be, people are going to begin thinking pretty soon about who can beat Biden, not just who you get, get the biggest thrill of voting for, meaning Trump. And, and I think, you know, you know, his campaign till now was, was seemed to be guided by very short term considerations. He went all the way into the primaries. You got to give Nikki Haley credit for talking like an adult. And I'm far from the only person saying this. And I can certainly be accused of plagiarism on that expression. She was honest with the Republican voters about abortion. She was a, she, she stood up to Vivek on, on Ukraine. I mean, Vivek on Ukraine, I think he destroyed himself. I mean, at least in my eyes. Everyone knows America is safer if Putin loses rather than when Putin winning. And America and her allies are much safer in a world where Putin loses in Ukraine rather than wins. And for Vivek not to understand that is bizarre. He, he was also bizarrely stupid on Taiwan, talking about defending them until, you know, America could produce its own chips and then giving Taiwan away to the Chinese, as if that doesn't impact very important American allies like Japan and South Korea. I mean, it's it, it, it was very, it, it, he killed himself on foreign policy, although he, in other ways, is a very bright, refreshing candidate on foreign policy. He just, he just stepped on a landmine. Let's talk a little bit about what Vivek said about Israel. You know, basically what he said was that the immense amount of foreign aid he believes should be cut. That once 2028, which I think is when this appropriation spends its course, that Israel should be able to stand on its own two feet. And although he praised Israel for many, many things, he praised them for their security, he praised them in terms of how tough they are on terrorism. And uh, he clearly wasn't, didn't join the course uh, condemning anything that was going on in terms of the judicial reform. He said, and I want to ask you about this, that should, should we take, do we, this Israel desperately need all those billions of dollars that they get in foreign aid from America? They wouldn't be able to survive without it. Yeah, listen, I want to tell you something. This is an issue. I, I believe you can be a strong supporter of Israel and a, and a strident opponent of BDS and be very well-wing in Israel and still be skeptical about the need for American aid. It's an interesting debate. So I, I don't think, you know, cutting off American aid to Israel is a disqualifier. I, I really, I know that sounds like heresy today, but it's not. But, but I, you know, for, for on Vivek, to me, what dis- was, was, you know, near disqualifying was his positions on Ukraine and Taiwan. I, I think it speaks a lot to to where we are. You know, people look at the Republican Party and they see it as a bunch of male-dominated white power. I mean, doesn't doesn't that stage with having Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy on it, and we can throw Tim Scott? Doesn't that also really doesn't that really explode the lie that the Republicans? I mean, there's no question that 
the Democratic Party today understands they're bleeding black male votes. They're, they are continuing to bleed Hispanic votes, that their bizarre emphasis on social issues where, where they take positions that are anathema to, you know, traditional minded people like Hispanics and black men, uh, is, is turning people off. And, uh, they are so, I, I don't know why they're so beholden to the, what, what I continue to believe is just a fringe of the Democratic Party, but they seem on environmental issues, on gender issues. They can't seem to take a position that in any way tracks, you know, to, to the moderates. It's also clear that if the vice president wasn't Kamala Harris, that there you'd have much more pressure behind the scenes on Biden to step aside. They know that if they do that, it, you know, Kamala is not a major improvement. You know, staying a little bit in politics, but a little bit more local, you know, you spent many wonderful years in the city of New York, and we had a lot of fun together even before, you know, you moved to Canada. Uh, the mayor of New York, uh, Eric Adams, has made a little bit of headlines by his trip, his three-day whirlwind trip there in Cicero, and the things that he was doing there. He spent, uh, he got more face time with the Gudeli Yisrael than, you know, most of the Rosh Hashivas. To me, it was the funniest thing, because, first of all, every single mayor of New York since 1951 has visited Israel. The joke in New York used to be, the world's changed, used to be they have to go to the three eyes, Ireland, Italy, and Israel, because that was New York, right? The Irish, the Jews, the Italians. Yeah, so you went to Israel, what's remarkable, and you needed more evidence, and maybe some still do, the extraordinary shift in Jewish political clout in New York City, you need to look no further than this trip. In the old days, meaning 10 years ago, uh, a mayor of New York would go to Israel and he'd be the, uh, he'd be feted at a rooftop garden cocktail by the likes of Steinhardt or Brothman. Today, you know, he went and he was on the rooftop of a Hasidic guy in Yerushalayim. It's a whole new world. It's a whole new world. The mayor is a Jewish liaison. His name Yoeli. It is a whole new world. And uh, political cloud in New York has shifted from the Upper East Side to Williamsburg and Borough Park. And they helped. They helped elect him. That was, was the Borough president. They got him elected. They are very transactional. They are very clear about what they want from the mayor, and they uh, they get it. And you know, he said a lot of very positive things about Israel. You know, he really praised a lot of what was doing. He was not, although he met with the left opposition. I know Haaretz criticized him for not really, really giving it a sign of support. And I'm sure he, he, he did not want to do that. He knows, he knows. But he did meet with them and he did, you know, show an openness to their views. And, uh, Haaretz just can't, you know, compliment anybody, you know, they just can't bring themselves to comment anybody's. Yeah. I, again, I want to tell our listeners, there's a magazine, of course, that both of us uh, skim and read, and they've been getting our money for years, which, of course, is the New Yorker. And they did a uh, really, I would say, a, a hit uh, job, a hit job that I have never I haven't read such a hit job in years. I mean, they took him apart. Uh, almost every paragraph finds lies and duplicities. And Listen. The, the New Yorker got the mayor they wanted. They got to Blasio for eight years. And he was an unmitigated disaster. By the time he left office, his core supporters had turned on him. Everybody. Listen, we all know the history of New York. We all remember uh, Ed Koch, A. Beam, then Rudy Giuliani and Bloomberg. You know, in the middle, you had, you know, Dinkins and whoever. Uh, and we know who cleaned up New York. 
uh, much to my dismay. I mean, I, I like the old dirty, gritty crime bit in New York, which, but it, you know, my day, you know, when I was living on the Upper West Side, it was a, a place of, it was a wild west. And today it's all cleaned up. Times Square is turned into Disneyland. But the crime is back a little bit. Violent crime, not murder. Yes. I know that sounds strange, but violent crimes as a, as a category, which is much larger than just murder. Violent crimes aren't really up. Murder is way up, but even that has stabilized. Listen, when, uh, that idiot judge, Scheinlin, a few years ago, uh, vetoed stop and frisk, the city went to hell. You know, what Giuliani did and also the, uh, Police Commissioner of the time, Kelly, gets a lot of credit. And William Bratt and these guys get a lot of credit for uh, for, for going after low-level crimes and turnstile jumpers and, and broken, the broken windows policy. Broken windows. Look, the broken windows policy, you know, is, is, is if even mentioning it today, you could probably get canceled on so many different forums. Right, but everyone understands that was so very effective. And people understand there are cops on the street. You know, it, it changes behavior. And, and Adams... You know, clearly the Jew is the Orthodox Jewish contingent wants to keep Adams and probably it, it seems like get, being mayor of New York is almost a slam dunk that you're going to be a mayor for two terms. That seems right. that, that seems that seems once once you're in, you really have to be terrible to not get reelected. Listen, if he's able to, uh, to crack down a little even a little bit more on crime, listen, what's hurting him the most is the refugees. But I don't think people blame the mayor for that. I think people blame Biden for that. I think. Yeah, and, and again, this is something which I hear because you know I tune I tune into ten ten wins, and I'm constantly hearing about where are we putting the refugees. And again, this is something that you don't is not getting national attention that the border policies are a complete failure. And uh, it's again, it's 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 it's, it's strange. Uh, the, the New York article seems to me is almost like. You know, Adams is stepping out of line a little bit, and therefore let us show him what a hit piece can do. I have to say that uh, I, I, I've, I've never watched the HBO documentary Hard Knocks until I watched one episode. And you know, of course, Hard Knocks with Aaron Rodgers go, moving over to the New York Jets, they say the Jets is the hottest ticket in town, and Hard Knocks knew that was going to be what they were going to focus on. And I have to tell you, it's quite enjoyable. And even though normally I, I think reality TV is staged, I happen to think Hard Knocks is is, is at least sixty five percent true. I, I love seeing Liv Schreiber, and he said himself on the on the program that he's just imitating the great John Facenda, the great voice of NFL films. But there was a great scene where the even though he's usually just this omniscient voice. He put himself into it. A, a, the HBO paid for a helicopter to land in the middle of the Jets training field in New Jersey. And Aaron Rodgers is saying, he's coming. God is coming down. The voice of God himself. And here comes our, this nice Jewish boy, Liv Shriver. Who, by the way, if you remember, he, in, in, do you remember the movie Strangers Among Us? Of course. So he played the Hasidic killer in that movie. He was the stranger. Oh, that's right. You know, I forgot that. Glenn Schreiber has come a long way. The idea is, is that so much really, Rabbi Popko, is the spin that we put on things, the narration, the music, you know, a lot of events. And this, I think, can get us really into, you know, we're in the, the Tkufa here of El. Yeah, you know what? So much is really 
dependent on just a certain type of ambiance and attitude. The scenes themselves maybe don't necessarily elevate. But if you have the shoifer, the schmooze, you have that voice that gives a perspective, whether it's yours or others, I think it does so much. Otherwise, it seems like we just go through a spiral that's just the same old you know, stuff that we've lived through uh, year by year. And I, I therefore, am, I, I am sure that as we careen towards this Yemadin, that you'll always be able to put into perspective, a la John Facenda, a la Liv Schreiber, you'll be able to put into perspective what this means. Yeah, okay. All I'm saying is, it's opening day is coming up. Niners versus Steelers, right? Brock Purdy against Kenny Pickett. And uh, the Steelers are 3-0 and in exhibition. And we built and beat the Falcons yesterday in exhibition preseason. And we're going to go all the way. Joe Burrow will be injured on week one. And that's it. You're looking for an injury? Come on. I root for injuries. I want my enemies to die. What I would tell you is, is that maybe my reaction here today, dear listeners, and my good friend, Rabbi Pupko, is because I expect the Packers to be in the toilet for a number of years. So I guess I am just really just, you know, trying to... You're uh, despondent. You should be. I am just searching for crumbs here. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.